Well, good morning, Moberly. It's so good to be with you this morning, and I just want you to know how privileged and honored I am to come alongside of you today and open up the Word. In fact, I was texting my wife uh, this morning, uh, and I said, baby, it's kind of a surreal moment that when I was at ETBU, a student at ETBU, uh, graduated in 03, I would, and I, I used to come to Mobley from time to time before I went on staff at a church, and I said, I would have never dreamed that uh, God would have me come here and, and speak to you. So I just want you to know how privileged and honored that I am to be with you today. And I want to say thank you, kind of on the heels of this video, uh, thank you for partnering together. I don't know if you know this, and I'm sure many of you do, but some of you may not, and I always like to kind of point out uh, that when you invest in the kingdom through places like Moberly, uh, because of a, uh, a, a vast network of churches that you're a part of, uh, did you know that this morning, while we're here gathered together and lifting high the name of Jesus, that there are over 3,600 missionaries all across the world who are, uh, are taking the gospel to unreached, unengaged people groups are fully funded so they can fully focus on the mission. In other words, uh, I, I, you know, I'll say it this way. Did you realize that you can be here today and all across the world at the same time? That today as we're worshiping together, you're in Africa, you're in Asia, you're in Europe, you're in the hard to reach places across the world because you invest in the kingdom of God. Do you realize that today? As we gather on this Sunday morning, somewhere across the U.S., whether it's Denver, uh, L.A., New York, it's uh, San Antonio, Austin, Dallas, whatever it is, that there are church planters all across the U.S. today that are nervous as they can be this morning because they don't know if anybody's going to show up for their first service. <laughs> and this morning, their groups would have met at 5 o'clock and set up and gone through run-throughs. And right now, they're in a back room somewhere praying, God, just give us somebody to show up. And uh, today, all across America, because you are a part of it, uh, there are new churches starting today. So to this morning, you're in Longview, but you're also in Denver. You're also in Canada. You're also in New York. And then did you know that you have the opportunity when you invest in the kingdom of God here to raise up the next generation of pastors and worship leaders and Sunday school teachers and missionaries, et cetera, through our seminaries. And so thank you for your investment. You never, you, you'll never know on this side of eternity how your investment takes the gospel to the ends of the earth. And I just want to say thank you. And it's a privilege to be here. I want to invite you to turn to Romans chapter 9. Romans chapter 9, as you're turning there, I want to speak to you this morning on a message that's become really my life's message. It's, uh, uh, I, I like to kind of lay it out this way of capturing the heart of God. How do we do that? By being broken for the broken. By being broken for the broken. I just hit a major milestone in my life. I just turned 40 years old. And so there's a, it's, uh, I hear it's all downhill from here. Uh, but I, I, the only, only change for me is, and some of you understand this, that I can now go to bed feeling great. When I wake up, something is hurt. And I'm like, how in the world did that happen? And, and it's just getting older. But I, I'm at a milestone, a transition in my life. And, 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 and really, it's not only a, a transition when it comes to age. My family just relocated back from Colorado to Texas. And a lot of transitions happen in my life. But spiritually, there's a trans, transition taking place in my life. And that transition is this. I don't want to spend another moment of my life playing church. I don't want to spend another moment in anything less than what God has for me to experience the fullness of him. 
And, and in fact, let me, let me say it this way. My grandparents used to tell me, some of you might have heard stories like this. Some of you might have experienced this. My grandparents used to tell me of a day in which they would gather together in church or revival, whatever it was, and the entire place would be so full, people would be lining the walls. You might remember this. The sanctuaries back then would have ceiling fans, not air conditioners, and so they would turn on the ceiling fans. They would raise the windows, and people would just, they would sit in the pews. They would line the walls. They would line outside of the uh, wall of the church in order to hear through the windows and the word of God was preached and the spirit of God would meet with their people and people would be at the altar and marriages be restored and lives being transformed, people being saved, repentance happening, and it would go on and on. And my grandparents used to tell me about these moments where they would be lost in the moment because the Holy Spirit was so present and evident there. And I used to go sit at a table, listen to my grandparents talk about this, and go, man, that's what I want. Like, God, I want that. Let me ask you this. If you've ever experienced anything like that, how could you be satisfied with anything less? If you've ever seen just an authentic move of God. And I'm not talking about a, a move that could be manufactured by us. I'm not talking about putting the Holy Spirit and, and deliver it in a box. If you open it up, the Spirit just comes out like a jack-in-the-box and all things are well. No, no, I'm talking about a move of God that's unexplainable, a move of God that, that, that you just know that God is in the place. And I, I, my prayer for my life, my prayer for our generation, my prayer for our nation, our cities, our state, is that God would once again pour out his spirit on us like we've never seen before. But church, let me say it to you this way. If we're going to see a move of God like that, first of all, it's going to start in our own lives, and then it's going to spread into the churches. But if we're going to see a move of God like that, then we must align our heart with the heart of God, capture his heart. And what is the heart of God? Jesus says it in a statement when he says, I have come to seek and save that which is what? Lost. You see, the heart of God was to look on broken humanity and to send Jesus from a mission trip from heaven to earth to give his life that man may be reconciled because God's heart was broken for those who were broken. God's heart was broken for those who, who did not know him, who were not reconciled to him. Therefore, he sends his son. And if we're going to see a move of God like we've never seen before, we have to individually, as families, as a churches, we have to align our heart with the heart this morning, we're going to see the heart of Paul exposed before us, but I'm afraid that some of us are like my son. I have four kids. Their names are any, many, many, and it, because there ain't going to be no mo, I promise you. <laughs> they are, uh, 9, 12, 13, 17. Three, oh, three oldest are biological boys. Our youngest uh, is a daughter that God allowed us to adopt from Uganda, Africa. And so our, our family is complete. And maybe you know what I'm talking about. We were on a road trip one time. And my oldest son and my youngest son began fighting in the car. You ever experienced that? In fact, I learned real quickly who my heroes were. They're, they're, my heroes aren't politicians. <laughs> my heroes are not athletes. My heroes aren't even preachers. My heroes are those of you who raised your kids without a DVD system in your car. I don't know how you did it, and I don't want to know how you did it, to be honest with you. But uh, we were on this road trip. My oldest and my youngest were arguing. And my middle son, and my middle son just turned 13, he, wear, he has fire engine red hair. He wears a size 13 shoe. He's almost six foot. I can no longer take him down. That day, he was sitting with his hands folded, 
peacefully, quietly, while my oldest and youngest began to fight and argue. And he was just looking out the window, enjoying the scenery. And I thought, this is a rare moment for me to praise him. And I said, Carter. He said, yeah, Dad. I said, I want you to know, Dad is so proud of you. He said, why, Dad? Why are you proud of me? I said, son, because you're being good. He said, Dad, that's my job. I said, well, son, you're doing a good job at your job. <laughs> About 15 miles down the road, he decided to make that two-man argument a three-man argument, and the volume raised, arose, and it was, just, it, was, it, was, it was just mass chaos, and I snapped, and I finally I looked in the rearview mirror, and I said, Carter. He said, yeah, Dad, looking at his big fire engine, red hair, red hair, big brown eyes. I said, I thought you said your job was to be good. He said, I did, Dad, but I've decided to take the day off. <laughs> Hey, don't miss this. I wonder how many of us that could be said of our life spiritually. We know what we're supposed to do. We know what we're called to do. We know who we're supposed to be. We know the mission God's placed us on. We know how we're supposed to live. We know what we're supposed to live for. We know how we're supposed to carry out our life on mission for Christ. But yet for many of us, we just decided to take the day off. Paul is going to lay his heart bare before you today. You're going to look in the inner depths. He opens the windows of his heart, and you're going to look in the inner depths of his heart today, and you're going to see a man who is absolutely captivated by the heart of God, a man who is driven by the mission of God because he is driven to be broken for the broken. I want us to see three simple things in Romans chapter 9, beginning in verse 1, and uh, Romans chapter 10, beginning in verse 1, and I want you to understand the, the significance of this. Paul is talking about the nation of Israel. These are his people. These are, these are his family. These are his friends. These are uh, those of his bloodline, his, 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 uh, his tribe, uh, I should say. These are his kind of people. And I want you to hear the descriptive language he uses when talking about his people. Beginning in verse 1, Paul says, I am speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience bears witness in the Holy Spirit. Listen to verse 2 that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. Now, Paul, before us, he's exposing his heart, laying his heart bare before us, and here is what he is going to teach us. First of all, if we're going to capture the heart of God, if we're going to see a movement of God like our nation and our cities and our churches have never seen, then we must be broken for the lost. We must be broken for the broken, broken for the lost. It is Jesus that said, I came to seek and save that which is lost. God was so broken about it that he sent his son, and, 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 and his heart was so broken that he sent his son to, be, to allow us to be reconciled to God. And Paul is saying, I am, I am so broken for those in my life, those, those kinsmen, those, those, my, my nation, my people. I'm so broken. Listen to what he says, that I have great sorrow and unceasing anger. Paul doesn't say I'm a little stirred up about it. Paul doesn't say it kind of rubs me the wrong way. Listen to what Paul says. I have great sorrow. Can I ask you a question this morning? It's a question that no one else can answer around you, only you. When is the last time that your heart hurt for someone who doesn't know Christ. Paul uses this descriptive language, not I'm, I have sorrow, not I, I'm, I have great 
sorrow. When is the last time that you felt the weight in your heart over somebody in your life who doesn't know Christ and according to Scripture, if Jesus were to come back today or something were to happen in the day, they would die and spend eternity out of the presence of a loving and holy God. When is the last time that you had great sorrow in your heart for your son or your daughter who doesn't know Christ or is running from him? When is the last time you had great sorrow over your daughter who is, who, is, who is not living for Christ? When is the last time maybe it's your son or your granddaughter, it's your coworker? Man, it may be your spouse. It may be your mother or your father. The question is, when is the last time the heart that Paul lays bare before us would mirror your heart? When is the last time you wept over somebody in your life who doesn't know Christ? And if that doesn't change, they would spend eternity without Jesus. Listen to what Paul says. I have great sorrow. He goes on to say, and I have unceasing anguish in my heart. Philip's translation says that Paul is given a word picture of having a never-ending pain in his heart about those in his life who do not know Christ, that it never goes away. How many of you, if you're just honest this morning, you woke up with some kind of joint pain, a, a, a kind of a, 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 a crick in your neck, or maybe your, your, your back's hurting you, know, and it's, you, you go throughout your day, and if you've hurt your back, every time you turn, it kind of just grabs you, or if you have a crick in your neck, you know, you can't look a certain way, or it grabs you. This is, a, this is what Paul is describing about a spiritual pain in his heart for these people who don't know Christ when he says, I have an unending pain. You see, that pain in your body today is there to remind you that something is broken. It's there to remind you that it not all is well. And Paul is saying, my heart is hurting. I have great sorrow. I am overcome with grief and sorrow knowing that these people that I love have rejected Christ. And Paul says, but not only that, it never leaves me. It's always there to remind me that there are people in my life who are broken, that there are people in my life that all is not well. If we're going to see a move of God, friends, we've got to be broken for the lost. I mentioned about what my grandparents described. I've always desired to see a move of God like that, and I never have in America. But I have on a trip to the Philippines once. We went to the Philippines. We were doing a pastor's, pastor's wife's conference. It was out in the middle of nowhere, just kind of a metal roof building, no walls. And we were there at night, and, and we sang the same three songs over and over again. And, and, then, uh, and then we opened the Word of God and preached the Word of God, and we got down to the time of response. And I never experienced this before in my life, but we opened up the response, and people just began to flood to the altars. The altars weren't concrete, it, I mean, it weren't, weren't, weren't uh, carpet, they were just concrete, it was just a concrete floor, and these people, they came, and these pastors and the pastor's wives, and they, they fell before the Lord, some kneeling, some falling prostrate before the Lord, and, and, and they, they began to audibly weep and audibly cry out to God, and, and here I was on the stage, we're singing, and they're weeping, and I could hear their weeping over the singing, and it was saying things like this, oh God, give us our island for the gospel. Oh God, please let no one on our island die without hearing the gospel of Jesus. Oh God, please let us see people come to faith in Christ. And on and on they would go and they cried out and they were weeping and wailing before the Lord on behalf of the people they were called to serve. And I'm not going to lie to you, I've been a Baptist pastor a long time. I never knew what to do if it went past the third verse. 
And here we are, they're weeping and crying. And I didn't know, I found myself in a really odd position because I really didn't know what to do. Do I stop it? Do I shut it off? Do I, I say, man, if others are getting antsy, but, but, but I just felt prompted by the Lord to say, back off, man. This is my time, not yours. And as we sang those three songs over and over and over again, friends, let me tell you something. This didn't go on for 30 minutes. It didn't go on for an hour, two solid hours. These men and these women were audibly weeping before the Lord, broken for their island, broken for their community, broken for the people they were called to reach. I just wonder, why can't we experience that when we think about our sons and our daughters, our grandsons, our granddaughters, our nieces, our nephews, our spouses, our our parents, whoever those people are in our life who do not know Christ or not walking with Christ. But yet we shut it off and we go apart cold-hearted and we say, that's somebody else's job. No, listen to me. If we're going to see a movement of God, if you're going to see a movement of God in your family, if we're going to see a movement of God in our churches, we must be broken for lost people because the heart of God is broken for lost people. The second thing that Paul shows us in this passage, exposing and bearing his heart before us, he says that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. Look at verse 3. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. Now, here's what I believe Paul is saying here. And, and, and Paul is like you and I. Paul knows he cannot give up his salvation, right? When you are, are saved by Christ, the Bible says you are bought with a price. Your debt has been paid. It says you are sealed for, uh, by the Holy Spirit for the day of redemption. You can search all of Scripture and you'll never find a customer return desk in heaven. Jesus never goes back to God the Father and says, Father, I paid for Nathan. I bought him with my blood. I paid his debt. He didn't work out too well. He didn't, he didn't really fit too well. I'm going to bring him back and exchange him for somebody else. No. Scripture says, man, when, you're, when you are transformed by the power of the gospel, you are his, man. And he, he redeems you. He pays your debt. He seals you for the day of redemption. So Paul says this, if I could, listen to this. I would be willing to be accursed, cut off from Christ for the sake of my Redeemer. Second thing Paul teaches us, not only would we be broken for the lost, we are to be burdened for the lost. So Paul is so broken over the people in his life. He is so burdened over his, this, this, this nation, his, his people, that he says, not only am I, is my heart hurting and I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish, but listen to what he says. I would be willing, if I could, like I would go to the depths of desperation. I would be willing, if I could, to be cut off from Christ and let them take my place. Hey, Molly, can I tell you something? I love you and the Lord as brothers and sisters in Christ. I do. I love you. But if I'm just honest with you this morning, I don't love any of you enough to give up my salvation for you. And before you go, well, that's not nice. You wouldn't do it for me either, right? So listen to the depths of burden Paul has. He says, I'm broken. My heart hurts. I'm weeping. He says, but I'm burdened. I would be willing to give it all up if they would just come to Christ. Friends, let me tell you the difference in our lives. There's a difference between being bothered and being burdened. When you're bothered, you can sleep at night. When you're burdened, you have to do something. You have to pray. You have to do something. 
How many of you have ever unintentionally lost your child in a store? I'm not the only one. That's good. I was passionate in a small East Texas town about an hour from here, and my wife would, she'd get so frustrated at me. Some of you ladies understand this. She would say, honey, I'm in the middle of dinner, making dinner. I need, to, I need you to run to the store and get a, a gallon of milk or a loaf of bread. Three hours later, I would come back. She's flustered. I ruined dinner, and she would say, I don't understand how hard it is to go to the grocery store and get a gallon of milk. And I would say, honey, you don't. Let me explain it to you. I am the pastor of the First Baptist Church of this town. I go to Brookshire's, get a gallon of milk, and I end up having a deacon's meeting on aisle three. Finance meeting on six and a marriage counseling appointment and produce. I mean, it's just part of the way it is. This one time she thought, well, I'll just send my boys with him so he, they, won't, you know, they won't call him there and, and, and try to meet with him. So she sent my boys, and, and uh, man, I don't know what I'm doing. I look up, and one of them are gone. One of them's gone. You ever had that feeling where your heart sinks to your stomach? And I can't find my child, and I'm, I'm, I'm looking around, and I'm beginning to panic, and my heart has sunk to my stomach. And, and, and in that moment of desperation, I begin running through that store, yelling out my son's name. Now, let me ask you this. Do you think that I cared what was in my basket at that point? Do you think I cared if somebody tried to stop and talk to me? No, no, no. Why? Because there was something that happened in my heart in that moment. There was a desperation that found the depths of my heart in that moment. And all that mattered in that moment was seeking and finding that which was lost. Now, do you think I was bothered or do you think I was burdened? You see, friends... A lot of us walk through life with people that God has put in our life who do not know Christ, who would die and go to a Christless eternity apart from the presence of God. And we're merely bothered and not burdened. Charles Spurgeon, one of the greatest preachers the world's ever known, one of the greatest theologians, pastored the great Metropolitan Tabernacle in London. I'm going to read two, ver- two, two quotes to you. I want you to listen to these quotes and let it be the litmus test of your life and let it be the litmus test of this church. Listen to what he says to this church in London. He says, the fact is, brethren, we cannot go on as some churches do without converts. We cannot, we will not, we must not, we dare not. Souls must be converted here. And if many not be born to Christ, may God grant to me that I may sleep in the tomb and be heard no more. Better indeed for us to die than to live if souls not be saved. Did you hear that? Spurgeon, pastoring thousands and thousands and thousands in the 1800s, one of the first mega churches that we see, and yet he says, if we're not seeing people come to Christ, if our families, if our friends, if our coworkers, if people in our city are not coming to Christ through this church, listen to what he says, may the Lord grant to me that I may be put in the tomb and sleep in the tomb and be heard no more. Better indeed for us to die than to live if souls not be saved. Spurgeon looks his church in the eyes and says, you know what? It is better for us to close the doors, sell the property, and be no more than it is for us to gather together and not see people come to faith in Jesus Christ. That's being burdened. Spurgeon, one of the leading voices, though he's dead, he's still speaking, says this, God, if my life is not about letting people see Christ, if my life is not about people being transformed by the power of the gospel... Let me sleep in the tomb and be heard no more. Silence my voice if my voice is not pointing towards the grace and the mercy and the Lord of Jesus. He is burdened. 
Listen what else he says. If sinners will be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our bodies. And if they will perish, let them perish with our arms about their knees, imploring them to stay. If hell must be filled, at least let it be filled with the teeth of our exertions. Listen to this. He says, and let no one go there unwarned and unprayed for. You want a mission statement? May no one in Longview, Texas go to hell unwarned and unprayed for because there's a group of believers right here in this place. You see, friends, if we're going to see a movement of God, if we're going to capture the heart of God, if we're going to be broken for the broken, we must be broken for the lost, but we must not stop there. We must feel that sorrow. We must feel that weight. We must weep for those who don't have the hope of Christ, but yet we must be burdened for them. It must imply us to action. It must be a catalyst in our life to say we've got to do something. So what do we do? Paul gives us the answer to this in his own life. If you go to chapter 10, verse 1, after he continues the dialogue in verse nine, in chapter 9, ch- chapter 10, verse 1, Paul says this, brothers, my heart's desire and my prayer to God is for them to be what church saved. Paul says, I'm broken, my heart hurts, I'm burdened like I can't just stand by anymore. I'm burdened. And listen to what he says. So what do I do? What is the plan of action? He says in chapter 10, my plan of action is I'm going to pray. I'm going to beg God. God, my heart's desire is that they they are saved. God, my heart's desire is that you change their life. When we have nothing else to do, we can get on our knees and shed tears of sorrow on behalf of those in our life. When we have nothing else to do, we can beg God that he would change the life of those people we know who do not know Christ or are not walking with God. You want to do church as usual? Come. Shake a few hands, hug a few necks, sing a few songs, hear a challenging message, and go home as if it never bothered you, as if it never burdened you, as if it never connected with your heart. You want to experience a move of God? You've got to position your life and your heart in such a way that you, you captivate the heart of God, and the heart of God is what Jesus declares, I've come to seek and save that which is lost. If we want to see a move of God, friends, we've got to be driven by the things that drive the heart of God, and God sent his son because he was so burdened for the lostness of humanity. So Paul teaches us we've got to be broken for the lost. He teaches us we've got to be burdened for the lost. And Paul teaches us we have to beg God for the lost. Can I tell you just for a moment why I'm so passionate about this? I was saved as a young child. Both of my grandfathers, I grew up in Shreveport, Louisiana. Both of my grandfathers were pastors. On a Sunday night after my grandfather preached, I walked down that center aisle. Some of you have done that. I walked down that center aisle as a young child, and I, I got on my knees at the altar. A few moments later, I felt the embrace of my father. My dad came, and he got down on one knee with me, and he put his arm around me, and he said, Son, what are you here for tonight? And I said, Dad, I heard the message, and Dad, I need Jesus tonight. My dad, with his arm about me, prayed and showed me how to embrace Jesus, and he led me to cross that line of faith that night and place my faith in Jesus. I got up, I was baptized, began to live my life for Jesus in in any way I could and knew how as a child. But things changed, folks. Life happens. 
As a nine-year-old boy, I stood outside the door of my parents' bedroom the last night of their marriage as they fought, and I listened to the words they said, and I heard one of them say, this is it, we're not doing this anymore, I'm leaving, we're done. Almost 18 years of marriage. As a nine-year-old boy, I went back to my room crying, and I said, God, if this is what your love looks like, I want nothing to do with it. And so I, as a teenager, began to live the way I wanted to, not for the things of God. I began to rebel against my parents, rebel against God. I hated going to church. I didn't want anything to do with it. I, I, I just I, I equated everything with my experience there that night, and I said, I'm done with it. I have nothing to do with it. My parents made me go, but I only went because I had to go. And I had this one friend in high school who kept saying, man, I go to this student ministry at Summer Grove Baptist Church in Shreveport, and I want you to come on Wednesday night. And he just kept asking us, man, I'm not going to church. I've been there. I've done that. He said, man, please go. He just kept on, kept on, and kept on. He just was persistent and persistent and persistent. And finally, to get him off my back, I said, dude, here's the deal. I'll go with you one time if you'll stop asking. So February of 1998, I went to that old building and went to the third floor where the student ministry was. I walked in that night, I sat on the back row, didn't want to be there. They kicked off and they began worshiping and something began to open my eyes and I began to see something I'd never seen in a long time. I began to see a group of students who were passionate about serving and worshiping Jesus. I had never experienced that in a church. And I sat on that back row, even though I didn't want to be there, I sat on the back row and I thought, man, there is something to this. The student minister comes up to me at the end of the night and he says, hey man, we've been excited that you've, you're here. We've been looking forward to you being here. I didn't know what that meant. And, and he said, I've got a question for you. This weekend we have an event called Disciple Now. You may have heard of it. And he said, would you commit to me that you'll come to our Disciple Now? And I, I, I have to admit to you, I liked what I saw that night. I said, sure, why not? Middle of the week, my sister, who was a grad student at LSU, called and said, hey bud, I had not seen you in a while. Why don't you come down this weekend and hang out with me here at LSU. Well, that sounded a little better than going to Disciple Now. <laughs> so I drove down to Baton Rouge. I spent the weekend with her, and, and uh, I, I partied with, 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 with college students all weekend, and, and I get back to, 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 uh, to, to school on Monday, and at lunchtime, we had these two areas in our lunch called the pit, and I was down in the pit, and at lunchtime, I look up, and I see this guy walking, and I'm like, oh, no, it's the youth minister. He walks past my friends, he walks into the pit, he comes to me, he points his finger in my face and he says, hey bro, you lied to me. And I'm thinking, what are you doing here? You are like 40, you are too old to be here. Now 40 doesn't seem so old. What are you doing? You know, he said, he looked at me and said, hey man, you lied to me. You told me you were coming and you didn't hold your commitment. I said, fine, man, what do you want me to do? He said, I'll tell you what, make it up to me. Come back this Wednesday night. That's all I'll ask, come back this Wednesday night. Fine. First time I went to get my friend off my back, this time I'll go to clear my conscience. Wednesday night, February 11th, 1998, I stumble back into that same third floor room. I sit on the back row again. I'm, I'm even more angry of being there this time. That night was different, though, because there was nothing fancy. There was no lights, lasers, smoke machines, and there was no chubby bunny you know, if you ever played that, you want to know what it was? It was one after one. After we did worship time, student-led worship was one after one. 
15, 16, 17, and 18 year old students getting up saying, this is what God did in my life this weekend. This is what he wants to do in your life. This is how God transformed me this weekend. God can transform you. This is how God met me where I was at and God can meet you where you are. And one after another after another, these students got up and talked about how God had radically transformed their life, set them free, given them hope, and I sat on the back row and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, the Spirit of God began to impress on my heart. Nathan, you are mine. You walked down that aisle. You bowed your knee. You gave me your heart, but you have been running. But tonight, son, I got something greater for your life than your own your that than the trajectory you're on you need not I've give you've given me your heart you need to surrender your entire life to me and I'm gonna take you places you could never imagine I'm sitting on the background what is happening to me something happened in my heart that night and I walked up to the student minister and I said man I don't know what this is about but I'm telling you I'm ready to surrender my whole life to Christ said, Nathan, I'm going to show you something. He walked me into this room, and there was this wall. He said, Nathan, what do you see? I said, man, I, I see names. He said, no, look closer. And so I walked up, and I began to look, and on that wall I saw Nathan, 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 Nathan. And I'm going to be honest with you, that was the second time I was at that church. It was a little creepy. <laughs> I said, man, what is this? He said, Nathan, a few weeks ago, I challenged our students to identify one person in their life that they believe it's impossible to see God move in their life. I challenged them to identify that person they deemed impossible, and I challenged them to write their name on the wall. And Nathan, I don't know what you've done, but you sure ticked off a lot of friends. <laughs> he said, Nathan, here's what happened. So many of them identified you as the one they deemed impossible. They identified you, and they put your name on this wall. They, 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 they were broken for you, and they identified you, and they were burdened so much that they named you by name. And ever since then, they've been meeting and praying over you. And they've been meeting and begging God to make the impossible possible. Nathan, every time you see your name, that's because a friend was broken for you and he was burdened for God to move in your life. And Nathan, I'm telling you, for week after week after week, they have been praying and begging God on your behalf. That's why he told me the first week we've been expecting you. <laughs> Listen to me, I want you to know something today. I'm transformed by the power of the gospel of Christ. I'm transformed by the love of God, the mercy of God, the grace of God. And I am, while, while Summer Grove is an incredible church and became my home church, I'm not the product of a great church. I'm not the product of great preaching. I'm not the product of great worship. I'm not the product of great strategy, though I'm for all of those things. You know what I'm the product of? I'm the product of 16, 17, and 18, 15, 16, 17, and 18-year-olds who can't even do a lot in the church, but you know what they could do? They could get broken for their friend. You know what they could do? They could begin to be burdened and say, we're not going to just go to school and act like he doesn't exist and act like he doesn't need Christ. We are broken for him. We are identifying him, and we're going to do something about it. I am a product because that, because that was a group of 15, 16, 17, 18-year-olds who put off everything and got on their knees and Beg God for, for my life and beg God on my behalf. 
And I often wonder what my life would look like if they weren't broken for me. I often wonder what my life would look like if though the thought came to their mind, they lived indifferent to my need to reconcile with God. I often wonder what my life would look like if those 15, 16, 17, and 18-year-olds didn't get on their knees and cry out on my behalf before God. I often wonder what would have happened if the halls of heaven would have never heard my name. I ask you again today, who are you broken for? Who do you need to weep for? Who do you need to be burdened for? Who do you need to turn off the television, get off social media, and get on your knees Whose name does the halls of heaven need to hear out of your mouth? Because they do not know Christ. I've got them in my life, some very close, some very personal to me. You have a son or a daughter, a grandson, a granddaughter, co-worker, neighbor, friend, spouse, mother, father, somebody in your life that if Jesus were to come back just then, according to Scripture, they would spend all of eternity out of the presence of God in a place called hell. Don't forget, my friends, how it felt to be lost. But let what it feels like to be saved and set free and transformed drive you to not let anyone in your life who's lost not meet God because you haven't been broken, burdened, and begging God for them. Let's pray together. This morning, there's two people I'm talking to. Number one, if you're here and you've never given your life to Jesus, I'm telling you today, first-hand experience that he can change your life, transform your life. He wants to do something with your life that you can't even imagine. And here in just a moment as we stand and, and respond, there will be pastors down here. If you're here and you've never given your life to Jesus, I'm begging you this morning to come to one of these pastors and simply say, I need Christ. I want to be set free like that. Jesus will do it. He'll meet you right where you are. The second person I'm talking to today is those who are believers in this place. You're a father, you're a mother, you're a grandfather, you're a grandmother, you're a son, you're a daughter, you're a husband, you're a wife, you're a child, you're a friend, you're a neighbor, whatever it is. God has people in your life that do not know him. And he has given you the honor and the privilege and entrusted you in that relationship to be broken for them and to beg God for them. So I want you to think about that person. I want it to weigh heavy on your heart in this moment. And I want to ask, do you really have great sorrow in your heart? Does that weigh in on you? And if so, here's the response time today. Simple but yet complex. Just a moment we stand and sing, I'm going to ask you if God's put somebody on your heart. Maybe it is a child or a grandchild or whatever it is. I'm just going to ask you to remove yourself from your seat and come get on the altar before God. There's nothing special. It's just concrete and, 
in, in, in carpet, but yet it's a place where you can symbolically say to God, I am burdened and my burden won't allow me to sit in the seat. I'm going to, I'm going to take a step forward and I'm going to begin begging you for that person's salvation. And all over this place, there should be people that simply feel the weight of this for their family, for their friends, and, and you ought to just come weep before the Lord and beg God to begin working in their life. Who is that impossible one? And may today be a day that begins to transition in your heart to begging God on their behalf. Father, I pray by the power of your Holy Spirit, I believe that your Spirit's working in our hearts today. By the power of your Holy Spirit, would you begin to press deep within our heart the pain that Paul felt, the sorrow, the anguish. God, would you put a burden in our heart that says we can't just sit by idly, indifferently, when there are people in our life that do not know you. They don't know your hope. They don't know your mercy. They don't know your forgiveness, your grace. God, today, would you cause us to say I can no longer sit by in silence. I must get before God and beg on behalf of this person. God, whatever you want to do in this room, would you do it in our hearts in this moment? Holy Spirit, have your way in Jesus' name. We're going to begin to stand and sing. God's pressed upon you as we sing. Would you just make your way, come pray for that person in your life that God's put in your life as your impossible. God's put in your life as one you need to beg for. May the halls of heaven hear their name because of you as we sing this morning.